Welcome to the Pergo Podcast. This is Jared Pitney, and today I'm joined by my friend Sonia Fonciello. Sonia, thanks for coming on. Thank you so much for having me. Man, so we go way back. Way, way like back. high school days. Yes. I think when did you move to Paragold? I, I moved when I was in second grade. So okay. like early nineties. Yeah, but, those were the years. Oh yeah. So <laughs> I uh Doc Martins, those were big. Um I don't think we met though until ninth or tenth grade, maybe some around That's- there. Uh had an opportunity to hang out. We had a lot of mutual friends, had an algebra class together. Oh yeah. That was nice. It was very fun. I remember uh, you getting in trouble for chewing gum. Yes. Do you remember that? That's that's what I was telling you. That's how I got paddled. You got paddled about for that? Well, okay, so I was chewing gum. <laughs> <laughs> and, this um, is ridiculous already. I don't know. Yeah, it was ridiculous. <laughs> it was completely ridiculous. My so how the times have changed. So honestly, yes. like I have a really bad habit of like um like grinding, grinding my your teeth. teeth. And that's and, what you told the teacher. I yes, that. biting, you know, chewing on my cheeks and things like that when I'm in like deep thought and you know, algebra does not come naturally to me. So I'm I was in deep You thought. were just enjoying paying attention. Yeah, trying to pay attention and trying to survive the <laughs> class. Um, and so I got in trouble for chewing gum. So the next day I came in and I had drank a Capri Sun in my car on the way to school. And okay. I took the straw out and was chewing the straw. And um, the teacher came over and was all mad. And she's like, I told you not to chew anything. I was like, well, I'm not chewing gum. Ah. And... Uh, she got mad and I wasn't, I don't, you were there. I don't think yes. I was really disrespectful about it in any way. I just was like, why, you know, you told me not to chew gum, so I'm not chewing gum. No, but <laughs> now that I look back on it, I do remember in a polite way, you going a little bit into lawyer mode. Cause I, I think I remember you laying out a case for even how grinding your teeth is not good for you. I did. And you're actually trying to just look out for your health as well. And it was a pretty convincing argument, but she wasn't so. buying it. No, she didn't buy it, and she sent me to the principal's office, and I'd never in my life been sent to the principal's office. So I was freaking out, but it was uh, Robinson. Fred Robinson. um, Oh, my gosh. I can see. Scott Martin? Yes. Okay. So, and this is really weird, and I know they thought it was really weird, but they gave me the option to call my mom and dad and tell them I got in trouble or be paddled. (laughs) And I was like, no, I don't want you to call my mom. (laughs) Jumping right to the big ones. Um. So they paddled me, and it was so weird, and he barely touched me with the paddle. Yes. He didn't want to do it, and my mom found out anyways, and they were all cracking up about it and <laughs> thought it was funny that I'd rather somebody paddle me than call my mom. Yeah, they thought it was nonsense. So yeah, but if you know my mom, you know why I didn't want to call her. Uh, yeah. So. <laughs> well, I, I've i got a paddling from Fred Robinson as well, probably that same <gasps> year, um, and it was because a substitute teacher kept having to get on to me because I kept talking. And so she sent me to the office. This shows how big of a weenie I was. Like, I, I went to the principal's office, and he said, do you want a spanking or a paddling? I guess. <laughs> do you want a paddling? <laughs> yes, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Do you want a paddling, or do you want ISS? And I was like, I'll take ISS. Because I was so afraid it was going to hurt, and he goes, no, you're getting a paddling. And it was yeah. the same thing where he was just like, yeah, they don't want to do it. Go back to class. They didn't want to do it. No. And, and just for, like, context, I think if it was the same year I got it, we were at least 16, 17 years old at this point. So it's very weird. It really is a little strange. <laughs> strange. It really is like, you're taller than me. Yeah. How did you do yeah. um, Wow. But, you but, know, I think Albert actually was the rat on that one. My brother, Albert. Seriously? Because remember, he was in the class with us. It was him and Rob Hodge and oh, me yeah. and you and Grant. Um, what a dynamic. Woodside. And um, I think Corey Biggs was in that class, too. I think he was. Isn't he like a mad scientist now or something? Corey, Corey Biggs? Isn't he like Oh, with- no, you're talking about um, 
uh, Scrunt man, um, Cliff. Oh, well, yes, that's who it is. Yes, yes. He was, I think he might have been in that class too. He was in there, I think, because him and Albert were your younger and they got moved up because they were like the smart. I kids. was older than everybody because I was literally like, what is the least amount of work I can do and still graduate? <laughs> yeah. They were like, do well, I, do you I still can, have yeah. to take this class. Yes, absolutely. Oh. So, well, I did it. Always enjoyed whether it was an algebra class or even I got a chance to go to you know your home a few times. We'd hang out with a group of people or think came of our house. But we've lost track over the years. I mean, you moved off, and honestly, I guess the first time we've talked since probably two thousand one, as far as I know, was whenever we were at the chamber banquet. Yeah, and so you're like, hey, and so um, I know you've listened to this, and so it's great to be able to have you on here and and whether we're recording or not I, I just wanted to hear your story because you know i sort of seeing your signs go up and i i didn't even know you'd moved back to this area at the time and i'm like well wait a minute i think yeah. i don't think there's more than one sonia fonciello so there um, actually are two here i thought well my mom her mom <laughs> oh, that's, i thought your mom's i forgot your name yeah i forgot her yeah, name that's sonia yeah so i was born on my mom's 21st birthday and that's why I was named after her. That's really cool. So there's I did two not of us. Know that. So okay, there are two. There are two. But it's not her name no, on the sign. It's mine. And so yeah, but tell me, um, I know that you're the owner operator of the Fonciella Law Firm. Um, I know you've been serving as a lawyer. Like, but how did you get to that place? Like, catch me up before we talk about your run as a prosecuting attorney. Like. Did you, is this something you knew you wanted to do in high school, or did you like going to college or later and change that? Like, tell me about how you got to where you are today. Well, um, so I went to undergrad at Florida State, and so that's when I that's when I kind of left left home and started my journey back home. Um, but so I went to Florida State for undergrad, and then right out of right out of undergrad, I went straight to U of A in Fayetteville for law school. Um, I didn't even apply at Florida State; I had too many friends. And I knew if I was, if I had too many friends around me, I wasn't going to be doing real good in law school. <laughs> so I came to Fayetteville and met, you know, I made some really good friends in law school. And, you know, it's funny because some of them now are like John Petty is running for prosecutor in the yeah. third, um, the third judicial district. So it's kind of fun to call him up and be like, hey, we're doing the same thing. We're, we've made it to the point in our careers hmm. where we get to put ourselves out there like this. Um but I started practicing law actually in Arizona. I was living in Arizona at the time. That's where I got my first law license in 2009. And um, and then quickly moved back to Arkansas and started my private practice in El Dorado. Hmm. And um, immediately had this opportunity to work in federal court. And I was doing, um, you know, mostly um, just what, what anything that came in the door. I didn't care what it was. I couldn't say no. Right, because I had to make some money, and it was mm -hmm. right at the height of the recession, so nobody was hiring. It was up to me. Mm -hmm. I had to make, you know, it was you eat what you kill kind of mm -hmm. deal. And um, so I just went out and started, I mean, I would go to the courthouse, even if I had no business there, and just sit in the courtroom and watch people do whatever they were doing to learn. Um, I didn't have a mentor that was really bringing me up. I didn't know anybody in El Dorado except for my uncle Aldo lived there at the time, but mm. you know, he was a cardiologist, so he wasn't really a lot of help teaching me <laughs> how to do things <laughs> in the courtroom. Um, and, you know, so I just kept doing that. And then there's federal courthouse down in El Dorado and they have, for whatever reason, a lot of criminal cases in federal court, but they didn't have any defense lawyers that uh, were they had some, but they didn't have a lot of defense lawyers that were qualified to take those cases. And generally, like 
when you start doing criminal defense work, you start at, you know, you start with misdemeanors and move your way up to felonies in state court. And then, you know, if you're lucky enough and want to do it, you end up in federal court with the big cases. Well, I did it backwards. So they had a need for somebody who um, would represent some of these people. And I got a call from one of the local judges, the, the federal judges, and they said, hey, we know you're in town. Are you willing to learn how to do this? And I was like, yes. I can't say no to anything, right? Yeah, yeah. So um, I was a little bit scared and thought, this is crazy. So I just kept, instead of going to state court to watch hearings, I'd go to federal court. And um, they got me in touch with um, this lawyer who was an older gentleman, and he kind of mentored me. And um, basically, they just said, hey, you know, he said, hey, I'm just going to let you do all this. I don't really, really. Yeah. He just like gave me his cases and said, you know, if you have a question, let me know. But they were his. And these so, are some of the big cases? Yeah, like these are like big drug trafficking cases. And um, like I had a bank robbery and, you know, like a Hobbs Act robbery at the beginning. And um, and you're defending these. Yes. These guys yes. or gals. Yeah, mostly guys. But there's there's been several gals on so the way. Me, so tell me about that because I've always been curious, okay? Um, I got really curious about this back in the West Memphis 3 trial days. I'm like, oh, like these guys, they're clearly guilty. Like how could anybody defend them or whatever else? And now mm-hmm. here all these years later, I mean, which if you were the prosecuting attorney, you would have been involved uh, in time, that deal, yep. right? But um, how do you do that? Like so if you – someone comes – let me just ask you this first off. Be honest. Has there ever been anybody come to you that you're like, I know this guy's guilty, but the justice the system requires – Okay. All the time. So <laughs> – then do they have to convince you that they're innocent, or do you still have to be like they're guilty, but it's by law? They're... Well, uh, so that. all, all right. So this is I get asked that question all the time, and this is truly my answer. Um, there's a verse in Matthew, and I don't remember it to the T. Um, I don't pretend to be a biblical scholar, sure. but I know in the Bible it says, "What you do for the least, you do for me," mm-hmm. and that's always kind of been my pole star in just about everything I do. And, you know, I always think about that because a lot of the people that I represent are victims themselves in some way in the past. And um, they all have a story to tell. And my job is to tell their story. And it's not necessarily to make them have a not guilty verdict, right? Like that rarely ever happens. Okay. Most of my job is to say, hey, prosecutor, these are the good things about this guy. These are the facts that you have. Where can we meet in the middle? So I never started as an adversarial process. I started as a process of truth-seeking. Where are we going to go to get justice? Because if you're a good prosecutor and you're a good defense lawyer, you're going to be trying to seek justice, not just, you know, it's not an all-or-nothing thing. Mm. So there's so much gray area in that. And, you know, I've sat down and talked to these people for thousands of hours over 13 years. I can tell within about five minutes if somebody is a good person who made a bad mistake and needs a leg up and has, like, you know, just needs a tweak in their path to get in a different direction, or if they're just really a bad dude and they just need to go sit down. Is how did you? You said you could learn that in five minutes. Is that something you learned in school, or is that just like God-given intuition? Like you can just—you've always been maybe a good judge of character. Well, or I don't, both. I think it's a combination. So you know, not in school. I mean, this may be unpopular opinion, but I don't think law school prepares you to be a lawyer at all. It teaches you how to do research. You can write a paper, but really doing the 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 real work as a trial lawyer, you've just got to do it, um, mm. and and really put yourself out there and be open. And one thing that I'm I find I'm very good at, and I 
didn't realize I was good at until I started working in a prosecutor's office in law school was listening. And that hmm. skill of listening and just hearing people out and and being able to let people put their guard down because, I mean, I'm hearing things that my clients have, they don't even want to talk about with themselves. Like I've very often been the first person that somebody has ever um, uh, disclosed sexual abuse as a child to. Wow. Or like, or any other physical abuse. Or, I mean, I had a client who said that he watched his mom throw his baby sister's body in the trash and had never told a soul that. And he was a drug addict. And I'm like, well, I wonder why why. Um, you had to cover up your, the, you know, your mom murdered your baby and your baby sibling and you helped cover it up. Things like that, that I hear over the years that I, you know, you can't, and this is the, what I always tell my clients. I'm like, look, nobody's going to care unless you care. Nobody's going to care if you were sexually abused. Nobody's going to care if you were um, traumatized as a child in another way. Nobody's going to care that you're poor. Nobody's going to care if you're hurting somebody else. Nobody's going to care until you care enough to change your behavior, understand what your trauma is and redirect yourself to actually be a productive member of society. Nobody's going to care. Where did you get that language of understand where your trauma is? All reason I ask that is because we, I just came out of a conversation actually with Jay Allen, Allen engineering. And we were talking about, um, there's a book by Seth Haynes. Mm-hmm. Have you heard that name? Mm-mm. He's a lawyer in Fayetteville, but he wrote a book on um, addiction. And he said the question is never why the addiction, but why the pain or why mm-hmm. the trauma? Like, is that something you were taught? Like, hey, most of these people have experienced, uh, these offenders have experienced an incredible amount of trauma. Or is that just something you picked up on? You're like, wait a minute. Like, yeah, both, you know, so I've done like through you know, CLEs and, and other continuing legal educations and things like that. We do a lot of trauma-informed, um, like, just trainings. And it's not just trauma-informed huh. for the client. It's for us because, you know, there's that transfer trauma of, like, hearing those stories all the time, you know. And I've, like, worked on many homicide cases and things like that. So you talk to the victims and you um, have to, like, look at the photos and do all that. And it's it's really intense. And yeah, those are, so like, actual do do people. That? How do you process that? You know, I'm good at compartmentalizing things, um, and I'm also kind of like a crime junkie a little yeah. bit. All I do is criminal law now. You know, I, in the beginning of my career, I did, you know, everything because I couldn't say no. But um, I've gotten to the point in my career, um, and I did it pretty soon, where I was I don't do anything but criminal law. That's it. That's my passion. And I'm that weird woman who wakes up in the middle of the night and can't sleep, and I'm like, hey, which crime, true crime documentary can I watch now to fall asleep? Sonia, so listen. But, that's maybe why we were kindred spirits uh, somewhat in, <laughs> in high school because I have always been fascinated um, by this is going to there be people that will never listen to this podcast again after this. So I'm putting myself out here there. But even in my teenage years, I thought I want to be a homicide detective or a lawyer because I'm always fascinated by how the mind of a serial killer works. Mm-hmm. Why have they done this? How, how did they get there? Because nobody just wakes up one day and is like, I want to do this. Right. Mm-hmm. And so that's fascinating to me. That that's been it, kind of like so. This is a passion for you. Yes, it is. It's not just a paycheck. It's like you. You're like. Yeah, I mean, you don't, and I, you don't go into criminal law to get rich. Being a prosecutor or a defense lawyer. I mean, unless you're, you know, maybe in New York City or something. But yeah. um, maybe not El Dorado, Arkansas, but, or Arkansas. Yeah, I mean, we're really not like <laughs> we're really not making a ton of money over here doing this. That's not why I do it. I just, you know, I can make a decent living, but it's it's a passion for me. And, and I really do feel like I've helped people along the way and people that 
others think are throwaways. Mm. Um, and I always look at the person, you know, even though, I mean, and I've looked at some bad people and really just sat down and talked to them and, and tried to understand them and really like, listen, right? Like, cause listening is, that's my superpower. I think. Yeah. What do you think makes so, you a good listener? Cause I, I think by the way, that is a lost art. So this is a question, not just for you, but I want other people to hear this mm-hmm. and be able to apply to themselves. So like for you, what have you learned about yourself that makes you a good listener? You know, I think, um, I didn't know at first and I still don't know if, I, I don't know exactly what it is, but i for whatever reason can just sit down and like, I'd love hearing stories. I love hearing stories. Mm. Um, and, and I love understanding other people's perspectives, mm-hmm. whether I agree with them or not. And I do think that's a lost art, uh, especially now running a campaign, <laughs> but, um, and, and diving into politics, but you know, you don't have to agree with people all the time, but if you don't listen to them and like really sit down and, and just, just hear them out all the way to the end. Right. Like, I think that's, that's the key. Right, you don't interrupt them when they're talking until they're finished. Yes, and um, and if you give people that respect of, hey, she's going to let me finish, especially the people that I deal with who are constantly being told, like, you know, you've got to wake up at this time, you're going to eat at this time, you're going to, you know, you're con- they're constantly being bossed around and told what to do, and they're in custody, rightfully so, right? Like, I'm not saying that they shouldn't be. But when you give them the freedom to just start talking to you, then they'll they'll eventually start spilling your gut. I mean, I had a guy yesterday who was, I mean, told me something so personal that I don't think he'd ever told himself that. Mm. And I was like, did you just, did you just say that to me? And he said, he kind of tried to gloss over it. And I was like, no, 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 go back. You need to listen to yourself Mm. because I think that's where your issue is. And Mm. I don't think that you've actually been honest enough with yourself and listen to yourself enough to figure that out. And so, um, that's huge, that's, Sonia. I think that there's so many people right now that just don't feel heard mm-hmm. by anybody, uh, a teacher, a spouse, a coach, a, a pastor. They just don't feel a friend. Like nobody ever really has listened to them. Like they even had the permission to talk without being like, okay, like, you know, yeah. get, come on. And that's incredible to me. I, I've never once thought about that being the role of a lawyer. I don't know why. And maybe it's just unique to you, but to provide a space to truly listen with like an open ear, open heart, like not just assuming I already know everything about you and mm-hmm. why you did what you did. And I know your top. Cause I think that's so easy to do that. And the world would be a much better place if we did what you're talking about. Yeah, I mean, it's. I, I wish people would do that <laughs> more often in so many areas because it's just that's the lost art, right? I think is just listening. Hundred percent. I mean, I got. It was funny. I had. I've had this. People tell me this a couple times, but um, I had a review when I was. Um, uh, I was working in the federal public defender's office, and my boss had brought me in to do an annual review of some kind, and so we're talking and. She she said, you know, I just really never know where you stand because you're just so stoic and, like, I can't tell from your face, like, what you're thinking. And I'm like, good, because that's my skill in court. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I was like, well, I'm listening. Mm-hmm. I don't, yeah. It doesn't matter what I think. It matters what you're saying. I don't want to be... Actively listening. Yeah. So, um, but I was, I was, that conversation with her, who's, um, you know, 
she, I, I've always just remembered that. I'm like, well, and then we talked about that. I need to be smiling more apparently. So, <laughs> Well, that's something I got to work <laughs> on as well. Um, so you've been on the, the public defendant side, um, mm-hmm. but now you're going to cross over um, if you are elected. Hope that you are. Um, Thank you. So what led to you thinking, you know, I want to make the switch. I want to go from defending to prosecuting. You know, there was several, when I moved back to Paragold, um, and, you know, I've always kept in touch with Paragold. My parents have been here. This is home, right? Like, Mm -hmm. I haven't, um, you know, I'd be up here every weekend, but, you know, I've got kids and stuff, so I haven't really kept up with everybody while I've been gone, but I've always been here. Um, But when I moved back and I started working at the, Craighead County Public Defender's Office, I had a case load that was primarily crimes against people and property. And I had a lot of violent crimes. I had six homicide cases at one time over there. Jeez. And they were all first-degree murderers. Like, those are, like, the worst of the worst, right? And I sat down with this one guy who had been charged with um, felony batteries and assault charges. He had held somebody at gunpoint, like, beat him up, held a gun to his head, robbed him, all on video at a gas station in Jonesboro. And, you know, in that case, I'm like, okay, like, this is really bad. These are the facts that uh, that they can prove. You're on video, dude. Like, you're not getting out <laughs> yeah. of this one. Um, I've checked to make sure none of your rights were, you know, rights were violated. Like, there, this is this is plea time, right? Like, we got to talk about a plea. And he's like, oh, don't worry. They're just going to give me a suspended sentence or probation. And I was like, huh? You know, and I come from a, you know, really intense federal defense background where, like, you know, when you get your time in federal court, you do your time. Like, it's, you know, it doesn't work like the state where you have parole. There's no parole mm-hmm. in the federal system. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I could talk about that all day long. I get real riled up about it. Um, what do you get riled about? I like that in federal court, when you get your time, you know what you're going to get. And there's not a lot, like, you know, there's there's things we could fix in federal court, right? But and there's definitely lots of federal things we could fix, <laughs> but um, but I think that's one thing that we get right in in on the federal side is that like when you say you're getting a ten year sentence, you're getting a ten year sentence. Mm. Um, you know, in state court, people are like, oh, well, I'm just gonna do a third of a third. I got two months on the year. Why is that? Bed space. What'd you say? Bed space. Bed space. Um, and then oh. that's just kind of the way the parole system works. And you know, you already know on the front end you're not doing your full time. I think that's backwards. The federal system, you know, you. You can earn your time off. Like Trump had passed the First Step Act, which I thought was great because, and that's that's the way I think it should work. And that's a legislative issue. It's not something the prosecutor can fix, but except for talking to the legislators and making mm-hmm. sure they understand um, boots on the ground wise how it's working. Um, but you earn your time off, right? So like if you get a 10-year sentence and you're in there and you're programming and like, you know, getting a GED and um, learning a trade, you're not you know, committing any new crimes in prison, because that happens a lot too, mm-hmm. um, you can earn some time off on the backside, not already on the front side saying, okay, I'm only doing two months on the year. That's fine. I'll take that 10-year sentence. Because then 10 years doesn't mean anything. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that I could talk about that all day long, but yeah. it would be really boring because I'd have to get into like really detailed <laughs> stuff. stuff. that would be over our um, heads. But. but not over your heads. It was just, I, It'd I, probably be over I my head, I, not Robert's head. He'd get it. I geek out on stuff like that. I love it. I'm glad that you do. Um, I can sense your passion for that and your yeah. anger, like yeah, for that in the right way. Well, so I live here. I have six kids now. Um, his, hers, and ours, but I love them all the same. They're all I claim them all, mm-hmm. and they range from the ages of 14 down to eight months. So 
I don't want my kids growing up in an area that where somebody thinks, oh, I'm just going to get probation for putting a gun to someone's head. That's insane to me. Mm. That is not the place that I want my kids growing up in. It's not the place we grew up in. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, at this point, I'm like, I don't know if I want, like, our 14-year-old's going to start driving soon. I don't know if I want her to drive to Jonesboro. And mm-hmm. I used to go to Jonesboro, like, five times a week, probably, mm-hmm. to go to volleyball practice and things, playing J.O., and my parents didn't worry about a stray bullet. I'm worried about it. Mm. And, you know, maybe I see it more just because of the nature of my job. But, um, you know, I'm, as a mom, I know, and I've said this in my commercial and I really mean it, so it sounds like I've got it, like, just memorized. But, you know, I know when to be understanding and I know when enough is enough. Mm. And uh, having that background of conversations with people and just listening for thousands of hours. Mm. And, um, and, then, and then hearing that perspective from that, one client of mine, which he's not the only one that said something like that to me, but that's the one that stands out the most. And I just, I I don't want to live in a place like that. Yeah, I don't either. And I love your, like I said, anger before. I think there's such thing as a good, righteous, kind of holy, right anger. And that's what I said is coming out for me. It's what leads to passion. (laughs) Yes, because Mm -hmm. if you don't have anger, you don't have passion, Mm -hmm. you know, and if you don't have passion, you're apathetic and then nothing gets done. And that's not you. Like, you're the opposite of that. Like, you're a woman of conviction and great passion. Like, you believe in this. Mm-hmm. It seems like from firsthand experience, like, where you've seen corruption up close, you've seen the brokenness up close. And I love that. What was the line again? You said, I don't want to be understanding. I know when enough's enough. Mm-hmm. That's excellent. I've well, not seen your commercial because I don't have cable, but I love oh, that line. Well, that's what, I that believe you Facebook. when you say it. But yeah, anyway, okay. it's just, well, good because I believe it. And I mean it, you know, it's easy. It, I always feel really bad. The one thing that I've been like the most mindful of and, and just conscious of as I've been campaigning, because I never thought I'd get into politics ever. How do you like that, by the uh, way? Politics. Has that been terrible? Or yeah. it- it's been great. And it, there's good, good and bad, mostly good. But the one thing that I've always been like the most concerned about is, you know, you see all these politicians out there and you're like, oh God, he's a liar. Or, She's a liar. Yes. Or, this is just, yeah. you know, somebody telling me what I want to hear. I never want to be like that. Mm. I may not agree with everybody. I'm always going to, but I, one thing for sure you will get from me is the truth. And it may be something you disagree with, Mm. but if I believe, I mean, I'll be open to being wrong and listening to see if I need to tweak my perspective, but I'll always tell you the truth. I love that. Um, And I never want anybody to think I'm being disingenuous or just like making stuff up or telling you what you want to hear. Because that's not how we get things done. That's not how we get tough on crime. And tough on crime isn't, you know, it's easy to go out and say, hey, I'm going to put this rapist in prison. Well, duh. Like, we all want the rapist in prison, right? right? How are we going to get the dockets lower? How are we going to help people from recidivating, like continuing to recidivate? How are we going to actually be tough on crime by helping people not commit new crimes? Yeah. Um, Those are the big questions I think we need to be asking. And, um. You know, I have some plans to help with that, and um, and I think I've built relationships over the years to have experts and um, the people that are really like boots on the ground law enforcement to help me do a great job at that. Mm. So that's huge. I feel, I feel like anybody who's listened to this would already could already I, I think hear why you would be good for this job, understand why I think you'd be good for this job. But for maybe someone who's still kind of on the fence. Um, they don't really know who they want to vote for, whatever. Anything you would say to them to maybe help them understand why it would be wise for them 
to cast a vote for Sonia Fonsella? Well, um, I want, I'm, I'm young enough that I can do this job for a long time, but I'm old enough to know how to do it. I kind of said that backwards, but <laughs> anyways, yeah, yeah. you know, I've been practicing law for 13 years and, and I've been practicing, um, in the area of criminal law for that entire time. Um, I know the rules. I know how to try cases. I know, I know how to manage people. Um, and I know how to be a manager that people like to have around. <laughs> Um, you know, it's a team effort. Nobody's working at the prosecutor's office because they want to get rich. So you need to make it a good place to work. Mm. And you want to have somebody that's, you know, leading the office that's not controversial, that's not, um, you know, that's going to make make it a good place to work. So we have the best trial lawyers in our office. Mm. Um, and we have some really good deputies right now. Really good. And and I feel bad for all of them because throughout this election, I'm sure they've all been freaking out about who their new boss is going to be. Um and I see it as being more of a team effort, but, um, you know, I've got, like I said, I have the experience to do it. I have the passion to do this. Um, and, you know, one thing that I think is really unique to me, especially since I've been, um, on the defense side for so long is that I'm the only candidate in this race that is endorsed by any law enforcement, mm. the only one. Now, you'd think somebody who is a prosecutor for a long time or is currently a deputy prosecutor would have those relationships, but um, I have those relationships. I've built them up. I have the reputation with law enforcement, even being on the defense side of being respectful and, um, you know, being grateful for the work that they do mm. and using the, I mean, they help me all the time. You know, if, you know, if, I, if they've done a really good job on their case, it makes my job easy to go in and say, hey, look, man, they, they got you what are we doing about your sentencing? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like what, mm-hmm. you know, it's not, this is not a guilt or innocence phase case. Mm-hmm. Um, and what are you doing now to get back on the right path? Yeah. Um, so it changes that conversation for me really easily. Um, so I think that's really special. I was telling my campaign manager the other day, I said, you know, I'm going to need to frame that little flyer we sent out that said I'm the only law or only candidate endorsed by law enforcement, because I need to remember that every day when I walk in my office, mm-hmm. um, if I'm blessed enough to get elected. Yeah. Well, as I said, I hope that you do. I'm proud of you. Um, you know, well, just seeing, you. yeah, the course that you've taken and, and I love the story of you showing up at the, the courthouse when there's like no work there, you know, and just, uh, people can sometimes see maybe where, you are now or where someone is whenever they're like running for a position like this and like, Oh, it must be nice just to kind of waltz right in there and think you can, you know, whatever. It's like, you're someone who's like paid your dues, you know, and started out and uh, really kind of made a way for yourself. And I love just as I hear you, just your passion, your conviction, the honesty, the listening, the teamwork, working with others, um, the relationships with the law enforcement. I think it's all fantastic. So I'm excited to see what happens for you in the weeks, months, and years to come. So Yes, and please go out and vote. <laughs> and I'd love if you'd vote for me. Um, there's no lines right now. I told you that earlier. You need to go vote. I'm going right <laughs> after this. Right after this. You got my word. We'll end with some rapid-fire questions. We do this with every single guest. And so are you ready? I'm ready. You're on the on – the, uh, I was about to say the stand. Is that the right language? I'm on the stand. I'm testifying. You're testifying. <laughs> All right. Uh, you promise this will be true? So oh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. So here we go. Question number one. What is either the last show that you watched or book that you read? Ozark. 
I haven't Ozark. finished it yet. Don't tell me what happens. But I've not seen. I've heard a lot of good things. And about I'll it. tell you, I love Ozark because it's exactly how I imagine a drug cartel working in the U.S. Just based on my experience working. I didn't even with know it was cases. about a drug cartel. Yeah. Oh man, it's awesome. So pretty um, realistic then. It's that's how I think it would work. It's. I mean, I'm sure it's sensationalized some, obviously, with the the way that politics works in the show. But I just love it because. Yeah. It's right up my alley. I'm going to have to check it out. I keep hearing good things about it. Favorite band or favorite song? Radiohead. Uh, I never knew you were a Radiohead fan. Oh, yeah. Classic. What is your favorite meal? Um, Oh, my gosh. Well, anything my grandma used to cook was always awesome. But Which was what? Like, um, like Cuban meal? food. She would make, like, beans and rice and... Um, She'd fry up steaks and stuff that were like skirt steaks. Yeah, she passed so down the recipe. Good. Yeah, I can cook it. I just don't cook very often. Uh, right on. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I especially get now whenever you're running around all over the place. Yeah, no, I, yeah. But my husband is an excellent cook, oh, and excellent. his favorite thing to cook is breakfast, and he has the best breakfast really ever. Yes. What I mean, I'm like, I'm just thinking like it's bacon, sausage, eggs. Show me. What what can how can you church that up you know yeah I, I what is he doing he is he just doing like I don't know what what he does but he just makes it excellent like and I don't even like excellent. like this is weird I don't like it. excellent exactly oh. did you catch that yeah. <laughs> um, good listening yeah I did not catch it it's the, the details yeah it's the details um no he makes biscuits and gravy and I don't I've never been a big biscuits and gravy fan but his biscuits and gravy is really good. Right on. It's interesting you say that because uh, a friend of mine was in Nashville last weekend and they were going to go to a breakfast at this place. I can't remember the name of it, but it's apparently a, a big breakfast place. They went to get in line. It was an hour and a half long wait. And I'm like, how can you wait an hour? And a half? It's breakfast. I'm, <laughs> I'm kind of with you, like bacon, eggs, sausage. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's what he's making, but it's just. But it's just better. Yeah, I don't know. It's just wow. he's got that special sauce, yeah. I guess. Justin, I tell us where you get that you know, bacon I, from. I'll call mm. Justin Haygood and. If you can find bacon these days. Or no, sausage is what we can never find anymore. Yeah, we got some bacon around here. Um, what's on your nightstand right now? Diapers and wipes. Good for you. <laughs> of course. So glad I'm out of that stage. Give us a snapshot of an ordinary moment in your life that brings you great joy. Oh, gosh. Right now, like, so it's rare that we have all six kids together at one time. And... When we do, it's like lightning strikes when they're all in the same room. And it's been really, really special to see, um, like, all the five older ones really just kind of bond around their mm. little sister mm. and and really take care of her. And it's just, she's she was a big surprise. God <laughs> knew we needed her because she's here. But, um, but just watching them, like, really rally around her and, like, truly become a family mm. around that little one. And she is... A mess. Oh, of course. Yeah. <laughs> uh, last question. What is the one thing right now that you're deeply grateful for? Um, the, so I listen to your show all the time. I know everybody says family. So, you know, obviously family is really important, sure. but I'm going to be different and say, especially in the season in life that I'm in right now, my community. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, it'd take me a lot longer than a podcast to tell you exactly how I got back to Paragold and, and the roads I've taken, but I know that, um, like God, the universe, whatever you want to say has led me back here Mm -hmm. for a reason. And, um, 
and I'm just so grateful for all the people that have like, you know, really helped our family be successful here and, mm-hmm. and given us the opportunity to become a part of their families here. So do you feel like you it. enjoy Paragold more now than you did when you were younger or like thousand percent, thousand percent. Like, and I loved it growing up here, right? Like mm-hmm. we, we had so much fun. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, God, I'm just envisioning us with, um, our group of friends and a mattress out in the field somewhere <laughs> pretending like we were wrestlers. <laughs> but like, where do you get to do that stuff? But here, but yeah, no, I just, I'm so proud of, of all the work that like mayor Agee's done and, mm-hmm. um, the downtown Paragolds group. And, um, you know, and that's all like our parents, they've all set that up. Like with, you know, I think mayor Gaskell did a lot of that mm-hmm. trying to get it all started. And our, our families like, have really done a good job of bringing Paragol forward and making it a great place for families to live. And I want to be a part of making that grow even more. Mm-hmm. So. Awesome. Well, you're doing a great job. So well, thank you. glad to have you back. Hopefully we get to sit down and have a conversation again when you are serving as prosecuting attorney. I hope so. I'd be honored. This has been awesome. I'm honored to have been asked to come on. Well, thank you for making space for it. We'll talk soon. Thanks. See ya. And Sonia Fonciello has left the building. Robert? Um, well, unlike you, I've never met her. And um, I was very impressed by her. I mean, th- what I'm most impressed by literally is just the passion. It's not, um, it's clear why she's doing what she's doing. Sounds like she's in the right seat. Like she's doing what she's built to do. Yeah. Yeah. Anytime you have someone on who's running for office, you kind of imagine, at least kind of my mind, I'm like, they're going to have like a notepad with all of mm-hmm. the things they've got to say in exactly the right way. Mm-hmm. And she just didn't have that. It was just all an overflow kind of just out of her own heart. Didn't sound like a politician to me. And I think in a good way. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. Well, hey, if you're still listening to this, thanks so much for tuning in. Uh, we do what we do because of you. And so if you can, if you've already done so, please give us a five-star rating on iTunes. That just helps people find us and learn more about the uh, incredible people living here in Paragould. Remember that we also have a social media account. So we're primarily on Facebook and Instagram. So go there, give us a like or follow or whatever it is. Um, but you can learn more about us and just all the different episodes that we've had. Really, I guess about a year and a half now worth of episodes. And so our plan is to continue to release those. And um, we hope that you continue to tune in. So until next time.